This is Cockatrice Nuggets with Rich Frazier, serving you up a heaping helping of RPG nuggets straight to your gaming table. It's Wednesday, May 8th, the day before my vacation, and I'm feeling like 5e and some call-ins. Hey Rich, Aaron Clark. I just realized that I don't have Cockatrice Nuggets in my podcast feed. What was I thinking? So I've... uh, fix that problem so I can stay up to date on everything that you're doing on this idea that you're that you're exploring in today's episode episode 51 about automated prep or automated tables or automated um, result generation from these very complex tables rather than rolling a bunch of dice um, pushing a button on a on a on a spreadsheet and, and automatically generating that stuff that's super super interesting to me super super exciting I want to. I want to see more of this. I want to. I want to uh, check out what you've done. I've done a little bit of it myself. I'm using Google Sheets uh, rather than than Excel because then I can have access to it everywhere. Um, maybe Open Office. I don't know. How do we share this kind of stuff with each other? Thanks, Aaron. Glad to know you're listening. On the subject of sharing, I think Google Sheets is going to be our best bet. I was looking it up and it looks like all the formulas that I'm using, I can import into Google Sheets pretty readily. There was something I was looking into though that Google Sheets didn't do. I can't quite remember what it is. I'm gonna try importing some of my sheets and see what happens. Now, one of the problems with uh, some of my sheets is it's ripped straight out of some books. Um, Like my hex population table is just completely ripped out of Tome of Adventure Design and the D30 uh, Sandbox Companion. So uh, I don't know what the legality of sharing that is, but what I'm gonna do is, um, I I don't know, maybe just delete some of the files or delete some of the tables in there and uh, I can post my skeleton up for you. Uh, We'll uh, we'll see what it looks like and uh, see if it works on Google Sheets. I'll get working on that as soon as I finish everything up. Alfred here, just uh, wanted to call in and say I really enjoyed listening to your 5e uh, podcast. Um, one of the main things you pointed out, inspiration. Uh, a lot of people don't like inspiration, but I, th- I think it's actually quite a good mechanic. And if it's used correctly and the game's um, well balanced and that, I think it can make some good drama in the right situation where um, we use it as a re-roll, similar to yourself. So instead of um, sort of pre-rolling two dice and taking the best one and always finding that you get a good roll with your first roll and it's sort of wasted, we use it as a dramatic sort of roll after a failed saving throw or some sort of critical hit or something. Anyway, it was a good episode. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Arfed, thanks for the compliments. Glad to know you're still listening. Uh, yeah, inspiration. It's it's one of those things. Like I said, it was uh, it was tacked on at the last minute. Uh, some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people don't care about it. Uh, but listening to you, what I was thinking of kind of popped in my mind. Thanks for spurring this creativity. Is using it as like maybe a bargaining chip as well, right? Giving uh, the player a hard choice. Uh, I think that's a dungeon world thing. Uh, it's definitely a blades in the dark thing. Uh, where I can say, well, I'll give you inspiration if you do it this way. And uh, yeah, I'm really interested in trying that now that you made me think about it. Thanks, Arfed. Wow, Mr. Rich Fraser. Just been listening to your 
most recent episode where you're talking about 5e. Oh my days. Really, really enjoyed it, mate. I thought uh, I thought you hit it out of the park totally there, man. And um, I agree with you on many, many points. So I'm going to have to go back, listen again, pull out some of my favourite thoughts. But awesome job, man. Awesome. Really entertaining. Anyways, keep up the good work, sir. The other brother, Green. Thanks for the kind words, Colin. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that uh, what I'm putting out there is uh, is entertaining. It's it's good to know. Uh, glad you uh, are. My thoughts are piquing your interest, and I'd love to hear what you think about it. Hey, Rich, was just listening to your prep episode, Creepy Dolls. I love that. I love doing that. I haven't done a creepy doll thing in a long time. I think the last time I did it was in a uh, pre-written adventure and it worked out really well. It's funny how many gamers get creeped out by dolls. And uh, I'm kind of curious about the 5e prep because like uh, Spike Pit was asking about the, the time it took to develop a character. And, you know, I have nothing against 5e. It's just the system I'm not used to playing, haven't played it in a while, and I, I need to sit down and just get more serious with it and try to learn it a little bit better. So I'm going to try out that program that you were talking about and and see if that'll help me uh, ease the learning curve a bit. And uh, uh, well done with your episode, Rich. Mr. Tim Shorts, thanks so much for uh, the compliments, and uh, I, I'm glad that uh, if not just me, all the other uh, podcasts on uh, in the OSR Anchorites Network are uh, going into 5e, maybe pushing you in, in, in that direction and having you take another look at it. Um, I know Colin has put out the challenge for everybody to reread the basic rules, and uh, there, it, it's a good game. I like it. Uh, you know, everybody I know plays it um, locally. I mean, there's a lot of people on the internet that don't, but uh, I haven't got out there yet. Um, although I am anxious to try some old school gaming, get into that again. Um, not exactly which program you're talking about. I think it might be OneNote. Uh, I do use that to organize my stuff. I really like it. Uh, Evernote's out there, uh, for the web. And, um, I think there's a couple others. Uh, a lot of people, uh, my son uses just Google Drive and throws everything into docs and organizes it into folders. Uh, that's, uh, it's too messy for me. I like having that mess contained inside of one file and that's the way OneNote feels to me. Um, it's like a paper notebook with sections and sections and sections. So it's uh, pretty good at, and uh, I really I really find it helps me organize my stuff. And uh, yeah, as far as prep goes for 5e, it's the same for anything else. Um, I use Lazy Dungeon Master, check that out. That's a great system. Um, Sly Flourish, uh, Mike, Mr. Mike Shea has come up with uh, uh, a brilliant way to like just separate prep down into almost nothing and um, you know give a structure to your improv for your uh, planned adventure. It doesn't work as well with Sandbox but uh, I've been experimenting with it as you've been hearing and uh, yeah I'm going to continue on with the prep episodes. Rich, it was nice. I could not, I didn't get a good night's sleep last night. Like many nights, I fall asleep well, but I don't stay asleep. But anyway, it was nice to get up and 
have one of your podcasts waiting on me while I'm waiting on the coffee to brew. And I gotta say, oh, you nailed it with your number three there with humans. Ouch. So accurate, though, when you look at history. And then also, when you think, when I think about my games, you know, I run almost, I don't know, not vanilla, but pretty traditional D&D. And you always are using the humans. They're always up to something horrible, doing something horrible to people, planning something horrible, just like real life. So I thought you nailed it there. Keep up the good work. See you later. Froth, sorry to hear that you're not sleeping well, but I'm glad I can be there for you while you're waiting for your coffee to brew. Nothing I like in the morning or in the middle of the night better than a nice hot cup of joe. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, I think humans make it make great adversaries, right? Uh, th there's nothing uh, that's easier to draw a party in than um, another humanoid, right? And uh, I find that humans especially kind of, like I said, they're the short-lived races. They don't tend to look uh, forward as much. They, they're usually written a little more greedy in uh, the settings. And especially in the setting I'm using right now, Midgard, uh, one of the themes of Midgard is that humans are corrupting. So it's, uh, it, it fits really well with what I'm using right now. And it fits really well with kind of the stories that we hear when uh, comparing humans to dwarves to elves and halflings. They've, everybody else is kind of slow but steady, right? But humans are just in there and go, 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 go. So uh, I like to pull them out and use them as adversaries as much as I can. So what do I like about 5th edition? I like that it's easy. Like I said, that core mechanic is simple to rock. You've got a d20 roll, modifier, and a target number. Um, what I don't think is easy is learning all the characters and all the abilities. I think it's fairly simple for a new person to play a character from level one up. It is fairly simple for someone to learn their abilities as they go. Now things get more difficult as you pull spell casting in, um, and a lot of the classes can spell cast. I think, I want to say every class has a spell casting variant. And I'm pretty sure that's true. So I think that that can be that can up the difficulty curve a bit. And I do discourage people from playing spellcasters uh, as their first character. Some people do. And the people who have the time to study, the time to prepare, are good with their characters, right? The char the, the people who have the playtime under their belt and can keep coming back consistently and playing their character and remembering what their character's abilities are, it's pretty simple for them. Now, a player who doesn't put as much time into it, but, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you got to put a lot of time into it. I'm not going to be there hanging over your shoulder asking you why you didn't study your character between sessions, even though we had plenty of time to learn what your two new abilities do. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy who's going to help you. I'm the guy who's going to coach you through it. And it's fairly easy for me as a dungeon master to coach. Okay? Um, it's way easier for one of my players to do it because my players know the, the, the classes a lot better than I do. Um, I feel like 
another thing that I appreciate about 5th edition is I don't need to know the minutiae to run the game. Sure, it helps to know what my characters can do, right? What my players' characters can do, I should say. Um, what my, um, what their spells are and what shenanigans they can pull, right? And if I'm playing with a high-level group, that's the first thing I do once we're gearing up to go, right? What What's your shenanigans? What do you do? What What am I going to be swept off of my feet by, you know? Oh, I see. You charge into battle on your flying carpet with the fighter. Drop the fighter off so they still have their full movement except for what they use to get off the flying carpet. Um, and then fly back to the back rank and you're simulacrum and you cast spells. Okay. That's what I need to know. You know? I need to know what crazy-ass shit you've come up with that is now your standard operating procedure. That is not walk up to the front and attack. Stand it back, cast a spell. Stand it back, shoot a bow. You know, I, I want to know what these shenanigans are, and that's all I need to know to run a high-level party, right? Uh, for the most part, the high-level characters or the high, the players who have high-level characters that I've ran for know what their characters do. Uh, there can be a lot of um, analyzation, paralyzation. And that's, that's just the way it is, right? That's, uh, that's something that's going to come with having a lot of choices. But like I said, those people who are professional players, we'll call them, right? The players that play in games more than twice a week. Uh, maybe even just twice a week is enough, right? Um, those professional players are going to reach decisions faster. Um, even as DMs, right? I've... I've DM'd for a long time, and I'm I'm a professional DM. Don't get me wrong. Uh, not that I get paid for it, but I would love to get paid for it. If you're looking for a professional DM, I'm your guy. Uh, anyway, I would. I, I think that even if you don't spend a lot of time playing with your character, it's pretty easy to go. I'm going to do this and roll your die, right? Um, thinking of what you need to do in that situation will come more naturally the more you do it, right? It's just like anything in life. It's a learned skill. Once you learn what you have and have it memorized, and that's a problem, you know? A fourth level wizard, are you gonna have all those spells memorized for edge cases, right? You know, what does, what, is my mage hand visible? Yeah, okay, it's visible. Uh, how much can it lift? Oh, it can lift five pounds. Okay, so these are things that I know because I've asked that question many times before, you know? But someone who sits down and plays their mage from week to week and casts mage hand once or twice may not know it because it may not have mattered in those other situations. So, all these things being said, I find it's an easy game to play. I find that the, the generalized rules are, are very easy to grasp. I find that it's easy to teach to people. Um, there was comments, I think it was Ray Otis, about the size of the character sheet, that the basic rules sends you to a three-page character sheet. Well, I want to take a look at those pages, right? I, I, I want you to see what, what really you need. And really, what you need is that first page. That second page is background, equipment, uh, and, and not background traits, right? Not your background gameable stuff. It's like your story, right? Um, it's your faction, 
right? Which doesn't really play into much. It's your equipment, which you don't always need to look at during combat. All of your stuff should be on that front page. Uh, in fact, in the starter set, the back page is how you're going to level up your character. And I love this. I, I love these characters in the starter set because they are built to teach someone how to play the game and how they're going to level their characters up. So all you really need is that first page. Now, sure, at higher levels, that special abilities box is going to start spilling over and you're going to have to have somewhere to spill it over into. And I get that it's hard, right? Um, but as you learn the game more and more, you don't need all that space for special abilities, right? You just wipe, right? You second wind, bonus action, short rest, right? You don't need to know what it does because you know what it does, you know? You roll a d10, add your level, and you get that many hit points back. And you can use it as a bonus action once per short rest. It seems pretty simple when you look at it that way. Um, a lot of the abilities, um, special abilities, can be can be broken down into something that short, right? Uh, it's it's really easy to once you've learned your character and know what they do to be able to write that. And as you're going and as you're learning, yeah, it's going to be more difficult if you have a list of twelve things that your character can do in those special abilities and reading those every single time. But again, you're. Unless you're jumping into a high-level campaign, you're not going to have that problem. And this is one of those reasons why I start at level 1. Um, oh, hey, this should go in the dislike pile. Because I don't like that level 1 and 2 are so fast. So fast. 900 experience points to level 3? I do agree. Why aren't we all just starting at level 3? But I like level 1. I like the squishiness of level 1. I like to... I like to hold people there as long as I can. I love tier one. It's my favorite tier. Um, go back and look at my some of my Midgard stuff, you know. Um, I have 20, 25 sessions, I think. Uh, my last, ses last session, I believe, was session 25. And my characters just put someone up to level five, I think. They are just now breaking out of tier, tier one. I love Tier 1 so much. There's so much goodness there in Tier 1. And so much adventure to be had. And it, it's, so, it's so grassroots and local. And it makes your characters feel more grounded and more real. So I think they should spend more time in Tier... I think that Level 1 and 2 should be... There should be more time spent there. In fact, if I were using an alternate system, well, I guess I am using an alternate system to leveling up, uh, but the current system seems to be milestones, and I really don't like milestones. I like experience. Um, I like I like calculating experience. I like wondering when I'm going to level up. You know, knowing that next session, if I get 100 XP, I'm leveling up. Um, I don't like the idea of arbitrarily when the DM says that we've reached a certain state, we level up. So what are things, some things I don't like about 5th edition? 
the way they implemented rulings, not rules. So it's very, it's very strange to me that for a codified system to use this policy. Okay. Um, now this is great for edge cases, right? This is great for things that a rule book can, a rule book cannot cover everything, right? Uh, a rule book cannot think of every single thing a player can do and codify that. And that's fine. I'm good with rulings, not rules there. But when you take a specific system, like stealth, for example, something that is very core to one of the um, character's abilities, thief and sneak attack specifically, and write it vague under the guise of rulings, not rules, well, I think that's insane, right? So at one table, a thief can hide and pop out and hide again, right? And at another table, the GM says, no, the, the guy knows where you're hiding, so you can't hide there. And in the spirit of the game, you listen to the GM, and then afterwards, you, you know, voice your opinion and say how, you know, oh, I feel gimped or whatever. Um, this happened at my table. This was a specific instance where I was like, you know, okay, pretend you don't know where I am and I pop up and then I go back down. Now, where am I? Right? It's, it's obvious. But we came to the determination that the rogue felt gimped unless he could use his sneak attack um, when there were places to hide, right? Every round, the rogue should be able to use his sneak attack. Otherwise, they are not the, the damage dealer that they need to be. Um, and this is, this is, I, I feel like this mentality kind of comes from video games and maybe fourth edition. And I, I don't know about third edition. Um, it's possible. I know definitely in first and second edition, um, I was excited to get to use my backstab ability, right? There was a lot of buildup to be able to use a backstab ability in combat. Um, whereas in fifth edition, there's more of a, an assumption that the rogue is going to get to use it just about every turn. So, I feel like that is something that should have been codified on both ends, right? I feel like they should have said, hey, as a rogue, it's going to be a special thing when you get to use your sneak attack ability, you know? Uh, but they word it as, whenever you have advantage, you get to use sneak attack. So, you can get advantage a lot, right? Advantage is pretty easy to get in 5th edition. Um, and on the other side, they could have detailed stealth a little more, right? When you pop out of stealth and attack, you can make another hide attack to hide in the same spot, and the person won't know where the, when the attack is coming from, even though they know where the attack is coming from, thus giving you advantage, right? It seems like a simple thing that they should have that they should have codified in there, and it feels like something that should have come out during playtests. Um, is this? I mean, this might all come from assumptions from previous editions, right? Uh, like I said, if that's the way it was in fourth edition, where the rogue, everybody had certain powers that they could use every turn, and I assume the rogue had a sneak attack that was like that that they used every turn. So, I 
feel like a lot of this may have carried over from fourth edition. And like I said, possibly third. Definitely not first and second edition because it was really hard to use backstab back then. Um, and I feel like also from video games because I know uh, there were certain things that, you know, if you were a DPS, there were certain things you needed to use on your cooldowns as much as you could, right? So you would use them as they cooled down. Uh, I'm specifically thinking about being a rogue, using backstab, standing behind the mob while the uh, tank is holding their attention uh, to, to them, so you are attacking from behind, getting thus being able to use your backstab or your high combat abilities um, with the best possible modifiers. Um, that's going down a whole MMOs that is uh, kind of a whole different beast, right? Um, it definitely has affected the way RPGs are played, but maybe not as much as a lot of people think, because I know we played with some of those tropes and conventions before MMOs. Anyway, I'm getting kind of sidetracked here. So I feel like there are some wishy-washy points in, um, in the rules of 5th edition that are core, that are essential to playing the game. Another one of them is the Wild Mage ability of um, uh, the, the Chaos Die, whatever it's called. I don't remember what it's called. Tides of Chaos. Basically, a Wild Magic Sorcerer can use, a, can temporarily gain advantage. Well, I guess advantage is temporary anyway. Can gain advantage on any one roll. Uh, actually, I think it's specific to um, attack and... Maybe, I don't know if it's specific. Okay, so they can get advantage on a roll, we'll say. We'll assume that's what the rule says. Um, if the DM allows it. And then after that, the next leveled spell they cast, they have to roll on the wild magic table. Now, why is that DM fiat stuck in there? If the DM allows it, right? So... There can be, uh, actually, so no, okay, I'm getting the wording wrong. So, Tides of Chaos. You can use Tides of Chaos um, to get advantage on a roll once, okay, per day or something. Anytime you cast a leveled spell, the DM can then call for you to roll on the Wild Magic table, giving you your Tides of Chaos back. Okay, that's a better job of explaining it. That DM fiat lies in you rolling on the wild magic table and you getting that ability to gain advantage back. This is like, again, advantage is easy to come by, right? Advantage isn't that hard to get. It's not that hard to get into an advantageous situation. Um, in fact, there are alternate rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide that make it easier to get advantage, right? Flanking was a big thing in fourth edition. And in 5th edition, there's an optional flanking rule that gives you advantage for flanking. Um, it seems like such a little thing to give a player, right? But they put that DM fiat in there, where I feel like if I'm going to play a wild mage, I have to have a conversation with the DM beforehand, right? And when a player plays a wild mage, I have a conversation with them beforehand. Hey, you know, this may not be how it works in any other session you've played, um, truly speaking from, like, an Adventurers League perspective, I've played with Wild Mages and told them, 
anytime you use your Tides of Chaos, remind me on your next level spellcast and you can have it back if you roll on that wild magic table. I want, like, that is, that is the characterization of a wild mage, right? Always rolling on that table. And their, their magic's crazy, right? Um, and I think having advantage for a 50% chance for something wrong to happen with that spell is pretty good. That's, that's, that's a fair gamble, right? Um, so there are, there are certain rules that I would like to be more codified in 5th edition. So here's hoping when they finally do move to 6th edition, which is supposed to be backwards compatible, they nail down something like that for, um, for these specific and more unspecific cases that I haven't come across yet. Um, inspiration is a little weird. It feels super tacked on, um, and that's because it was tacked on. So having them integrate that more into more places in the game uh, would be wonderful. I would like to see that. Um, I don't like long combats, uh, 5th edition. Uh, I, in my current campaign, I have circumvented that by, by mostly, um, having a reaction table, right? Um, I don't really, I, I don't know if there's a reaction table in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure there's not one in the combat section, or, uh, because there is no random encounter section, so combat in the player's handbook is assumed that you've rolled initiative already and this is combat. Um, combats can take forever. Especially if there's a lot of mobs. Especially if you're high level. But if you have players that are focused on moving that combat forward and you are using tricks, maybe like average hit points and average damage, uh, which I, I hear both sides of the fence, and I've played both sides, and really, it doesn't matter that much. So if I feel like rolling dice, I roll dice. I roll to see, you know, what what that damage does. I, I rarely roll for hit points. I rarely roll for hit points. I, I, will, I will expand hit points dynamically to make an encounter longer. Um... I will also call off an encounter when it's clear that they are not going to spend any more resources to finish this encounter. Um, because encounters are, at the base, attrition, right? That's I, I, I wish that was a little clearer in the rules, that encounters are there for the DM to use up the character's abilities um, and to make later encounters during the day feel more difficult, more rewarding, right? Um, following along that, I think that the encounters per day system they use is, is not very fulfilling, you know? Eight medium encounters per day on average should be your average investment, adventuring day. From my experience, um, from my experience playing Adventures League, that is not the case. It is a one encounter per day in Adventures League. Actually, the, let me word that a little differently. You have more than one day in between each encounter. Um, 
in the adventures that I've played, there is very rarely an encounter. There, so, there was a season with a lot of dungeon crawls in it, as I'm sure the current season has a lot of dungeon crawls in it. But unless you were dungeon crawling, Adventurers League didn't have a lot of separation between encounters, or a lot of um, close encounters, I guess you could say, right? There was a lot of separation between them. So, there was always an opportunity to rest. And in 5th edition, also another thing that bothers me, rest equals back to full, right? And I understand why they did this, uh, but again, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel as satisfying. Um, it feels more superhero. And, and that's really what everybody says. It does feel more superhero. And there are optional rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide. But they really don't make that much of a difference. Um, I'm really surprised how little difference having short rest um, healing on a long rest. And long rest healing on a week off. And I actually said in my game that long rest healing which I call a full rest is a week long downtime activity so this is a commitment you have to you have to bed rest you know you don't do anything else you know you might go to the bar and have a couple drinks but that that's it you don't want to risk screwing up your you know rest to get those hit points back but there's still a lot of spells and I think maybe next time I do this, I might make it so there is no short rest. There just is no short rest, right? A short rest is a long rest, and a long rest is a weak rest. Um, because having the abilities come back, uh, which initially I thought would not be a big deal, um, is kind of a big deal. When you have access to a crap ton of healing, and can spend a day between adventures or outings or whatever, going back up to heal is fairly easy. Or going back up to full is fairly easy. Um, in fact, uh, a, just the Goodberry spell alone can throw a wrench into this, right? Because the Druidress, they make a crap ton of Goodberries, even though they heal only one hit point, um, although my druids are life clerics as well, so they heal um, one plus the druid's level, I think. So that is... Um, I, I have good berries that are healing for like six points. Um, maybe it's spell level, I don't remember. Uh, anyway, so I, I have good berries that are healing for four to six points, right? So even with the one hit point good berry that, like, if I can make, I think it's 10, it, it might be 10, it may be 20, but I think it's 10 good berries per spell, right? At first level, I can cast two spells. That's 20 hit points right there. Divided along, among some injured parties, I mean, that's, that's half the party's hit points right there, I think, you know? And just take two days, and boom, your party's back up to full. And most of the time, I don't drain half of the party's hit points, right? I drain a lot of the fighters, or, you know, some of the wizards, you know? Uh, so it's really easy for them to get back up to full. 
So I think next time I'm going to do it, I'm just going to change short rest is overnight, long rest is a week. Um, and that's how long it takes to get your abilities back. And that will make the short rest um, classes that much more powerful, right? It will make a fighter and a warlock that much more powerful. Um, it will, I think it will affect definitely wizards and clerics. But it's going to, I don't know. I don't know what the game would feel like, to be honest. Because I thought that the game would feel a certain way using these things. And it really didn't. So I kind of went off, way off on a tangent there for uh, resting. Um, I, I think that's about it that I don't like about 5th edition. I, I really like how simple it is. I really like how, at its core, it's... It's a die roll plus a modifier at a target number. And that's really easy to grok, right? Um, a lot of people have complained about the specific feats general, uh, but I kind of think that that's always been in role-playing games, right? Um, I, I just feel like you can't heal more than one hit point a day in BX, but you have a healing spell that will heal you. So that's, that's specific feats general, right? in a, a non-specific way. Um, someone compared it to Magic the Gathering, and uh, let's wait for my uh, cruise control to catch up here. Um, and, and yeah, of course, Wizards, Wizards of the Coast is going to do things in D&D that relate to Magic the Gathering, because that's that's what they do, right? They, they make what Magic the Gathering, so why not pull some ideas from um, and specific beats general is a really good way to phrase rulings, right? Or to, fr to phrase codified rules. Because uh, that's all they are, right? In general, you can't climb a difficult wall without making a climb roll, right? But if you have, you know, whatever. Anyways, I think yeah, I, I don't need to come up with an arbitrary example to uh, for you to understand what I'm so, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's about all I dislike about competition. That's all the nuggets I've got this week. Show notes available at slackernerds.com. Want to reach out? Send a voice message using the Anchor FM app or website. Email me at cockatrice-nuggets at slackernerds.com or check out my blog at slackernerds.com with links to Patreon and all my other socials. Come join us on the Audio Dungeon Discord server. This podcast is ranked via iTunes, so leave me a review and some stars there. Share with your friends and shout it from the rooftops. However you want to get the word out is great with me. Thanks for listening.